Welcome everyone to Free Association. This is a series here on Unsafe Space, which we speak to interesting people about a variety of topics. Um, before I start today, don't forget to like, subscribe, share, maybe even support this channel uh, financially, but only if you care about saving Western civilization. Otherwise, go spend your money on Disney+. Plus. I hear they have a, a new baby Yoda. So um, head over to unsafespace.com to do that. And now let's take a look at today's show. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Axel Kaiser. Axel is the CEO of the Foundation for Progress, a libertarian think tank based in Chile, devoted to promoting freedom in both Chile and the rest of Latin America. He's also director of the Frederick Hayek Chair at the Adolfo Ibanez, which I probably butchered, University in Santiago, Chile. He's one of the world's leading defenders of libertarian principles and Austrian economics, and he's the author of several books, including The Fatal Ignorance, The Right Wing's Cultural Anorexia Against the Ideological Advance of Progressive Ideas, The Tyranny of Equality, The Populist Deception, and his latest book, The Street Economist. Uh, and also, I'll just add, if you want a really powerful and concise explanation of both the Great Depression and the 2008 uh, financial crisis and a dismantling of kind of the mainstream narratives about how those occurred, I really recommend his book, Interventionism and Misery, 1929 to, or to 2008. And if you're an English speaker in America, you can get it on Kindle, translated into English. So uh, it's it's easy to get. Uh, he's also host of the Mental Morphosis podcast that you have to speak Spanish, though, to uh, to enjoy. So if you're a Spanish speaker, you can listen to that. And you can follow him on Twitter at Axel Kaiser. Look, I know you're a busy and popular guy. So thank you so much for taking the time. Welcome to Unsafe Space. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start with, uh, look, in, in 2019, just a few years ago, uh, a lot of, there were a lot of protests in Chile, and this led to this referendum to replace the Constitution. Um, some people have dubbed it a Marxist, a new Marxist Constitution. Uh, I've seen mainstream media say, well, they're transitioning from a free market, which I'll put in air quotes, doctrine, to a focus on, on, on rights and social programs. Um, and they're referring to, I guess, the constitutions from 1980, which which was obviously Pinochet, um, but it's re been reformed a lot since then. What's the what was the impetus for these protests? What what were people dissatisfied with in 2019? What caused people to take to the streets and make a ruckus about replacing the constitution? Yes, yeah, so I think what happened uh, was that for many years. Uh, we didn't experience, um, you know, as much progress as we had experienced in the previous decades. So basically, when Bachelet came to power again, because she ran the country, uh, you know, two times, in her second term, she um, made several reforms. This was from 2014 to 2018. And she made several reforms along the lines of, uh, let's say, big government and socialism and wealth redistribution. And she destroyed the um, foundations of prosperity, or at least uh, it made it much more difficult for the country to continue to grow economically. So if you take a look at the numbers, the average um, growth rate of Bachelet during her uh, four years was um, less than 2%. Um, so salaries uh, stagnated, were not uh, growing anymore. You also had massive influx of migrants, which were competing uh, for salaries, you know, with the locals. And that also exerted some pressure on uh, salaries, especially among the uh, segments of the population with lower income. And investment collapsed to 30-year low levels because of her tax reform and so on and so forth. So when Piñera was re-elected also for his uh, second term, um, because he had been uh, the president of Chile uh, previously, he, he promised to bring back better times. Actually, the, the slogan of his campaign was better times. And he failed. He, he didn't uh, you know, pass the reforms. He didn't have majority in Congress. But even so, I think he was very, very unskillful as a politician and he failed. And so there was this feeling that, 
you know, everything was getting more expensive. People was, you know, uh, were taking more debt and uh, growth was not uh, coming back. And they were very disappointed and very frustrated. But this was not because of the so-called neoliberal system. This was because of government intervention, basically, that had been uh, especially, you know, um, increased during the bachelor years. And as I said, Piñera did not uh, roll back the state. And then the narrative, of course, in the media, which is completely controlled by left-wing activists, was that the problem in Chile, you know, was the free market and neoliberalism and, you know, rich people having too much and so on. So in 2019, you had this crisis uh, where you had hundreds of thousands of people going on the streets. Most of them, the majority of them were peaceful people, but uh, you had also these groups of... Um, uh, violent gangs and you know uh, organized um, sort of terrorist attacks that were perpetrated against the against the um, uh, subway stations and against uh, critical infrastructure and things like that. So so there was some sort of a plan behind that that this wasn't you know the regular Chilean people frustrated with their quality of life who were destroying the subway. Of course, then when we had the whole chaos. So many people took advantage and they started, you know, uh, looting supermarkets and things like that. Because when when order collapses, you have these sort of things, uh, this sort of thing. But um, in the end, uh, Piñera uh, and the right wing government that he was presiding, they uh, gave in to the demands of the far left, which was, let's sacrifice the constitution, let's get rid of the constitution. This was not a priority among the Chilean population in surveys before 2019. It was, uh, you know, presented by the media and by many intellectuals as if the problem was the constitution in 2019. And suddenly it was very uh, fashionable to, to, to think that if you change the constitution, everything will be fine. Uh, but the gravest mistake was made by the Piñera administration. They basically said, okay, we are going to uh, end this constitution, which is not the Pinochet constitution, as the Ricardo Lagos, a socialist president constitution, who signed it after dozens of, of reforms, over 50 reforms. Um, and we opened the door for the left, which in Chile has always been a Marxist, hardcore, even totalitarian left, to rewrite the constitution. Uh, and I was very critical of this from the beginning, and it did not bring back, you know, order to the country. Violence start, uh, stopped with the pandemic. It did not stop with the uh, uh, government, sacrifice, uh, you know, destroying the constitution or, you know, basically saying that they were going to uh, have a new constitution. And then we had the referendum, 78% uh, of people voted for a new constitution uh, because people were asked, do you want a new constitution or not? And 78% of people voted for that new constitution. Why? Well, because most of them believed that constitution would, a new constitution would bring them a better quality of life, more so-called social rights, higher pensions, better, you know, healthcare and things like that. And some of them in among the center right-wing political parties believed that um, a new constitution would in the end, bring back peace, and then we would have, uh, you know, at last this constitution that was created under a democratic system, and then everyone will be uh, dancing kumbaya and hugging each other, and you know, the left would stop being the left and trying to destroy the country and create a new uh, dictatorship. And 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 now what we do have, because the, the draft is has been finished uh, the last week, we have the longest constitution in the world with 499 articles. And it's completely inspired in the Chavista experiences in Latin America and Bolivia and Ecuador and Venezuela. So uh, this constitution that we are uh, going to vote for or against on September 4th uh, is a um, revolutionary constitution. It is plagued by, uh, you know, with identity politics and with uh, extreme far left ideas. And I fear that democracy will not survive in Chile if this constitution is approved.
Yeah, I, I see this phrase social rights, and I, I hadn't really seen that phrase. I mean, we have lots of modifiers to the word rights in the US that people like to use. Um, yeah. But social rights is one I hadn't seen. And I always try and warn people when when someone adds an adjective in front of rights, they don't mean rights. Or when they add, add an adjective to justice, they don't mean justice. Um, and I was surprised at some of the stuff. I mean, there's uh, a mandate. It looks like the state's going to be responsible for preventing, adapting, and mitigating climate change. There's a national education system, which is going to be free, a national health service, which is being instituted. There's a guarantee that the country's land, water, and air resources remain protected. I don't know what that means, but like, there's a lot of stuff that's considered rights that all that's all thrown in here. Um, well, this is this is really insane because. Uh, you know, in the in the in the current Chilean constitution, like in most constitutions in developed nations, uh, the only let's say entities that are um, that can have rights are human beings. But now, in this in this new version that they are presenting as draft. Nature is also entitled to have rights. So the rivers have rights, the forest has rights, the volcanoes have rights, and so on and so forth. So this is going back to pre-modern times, basically. Yeah, yeah so it sounds it, tribal. It is tribal, and it has a strong. It's the, the the if you if you would ask me what's the main and the central element of this constitution is what we call indigenismo, so the obsession with indigenous tribes. Which in Chile really almost don't, don't exist because everyone is mixed in this country. It's not like other Latin American countries. And 10% of people self-identify as indigenous people. They all live, you know, in the cities, most of them. They have iPhones and they drive cars. It's not like they are, you know, living in their tents. That doesn't exist. Uh, right. So so this is a, a complete nonsense. And of course, they self-identify as indigenous people because they get um some benefits from the government if you do that. So also there is a huge incentive to do to self-identify as a, as a, as an indigenous. But even so, this new constitution is undoing Western civilization. Uh, is is basically saying let's bring back the times before uh, the Spanish conquistadors came to America. And actually, there is a norm that allows. Any group that self-identify self as indigenous to claim any part of Chilean territory. So they can go anywhere to your house and say, this belongs to us because, you know, before you white people came to, to Chile, uh, this was from my ancestors, so uh, I want it back. And the constitution allowed them to claim that piece of Chilean uh, territory that can be a private part, you know, a private uh, piece of land or whatever, back. Uh, and, and they have also something that didn't exist in Chile before. They will have special autonomous territories where they will have their own legal system, their own norms. So the Chilean state will be practically absent from there. So equality before the law has disappeared. In, in, in this new constitution, they are they have their uh, own justice system and the constitution says it's going to be equal to the let's say uh western type of, of justice system that we have uh now in chile so we don't know what happens when someone steals from me and he self-identifies as an indigenous person which justice will decide you know what i mean um all and and and, and this is not everything uh, you have plenty of, of other uh, norms, like uh, the Chilean state is declared plurinational, like there are different nations, because we are different tribes now, within the same state, and you will have in all parties um, political institutions with, uh, uh, you know, representatives that have been elected, like municipalities and things like that, you will have quotas for indigenous people. And you should have that also in different uh, state and government institutions. Um, so this is completely insane. And um, they are going to have uh, complete freedom in their autonomous territories. For instance, they can use the waters in their autonomous territories. 
you know, as they see fit. But we, as you, as normal Chileans, have to follow different sets of rules if we want to use waters that are in our own, uh, let's say, farm, for example. Um, so, so it's it's insane. And then is the feminist element, the gender ideology element. All of that is is, is mixed in this identitarian undoing of the uh, of Western civilization. Actually, one norm of the Constitution says that all of the rulings by courts have to incorporate gender perspective. All of them in the country. What does that even mean? I guess men are bad, women are, I don't know, good. And, and you know, you always rule in favor of the supposed victim and transgender person or, you know, so it's, it's, it's this I mean, it's a parody of, it's, it's, it's a parody of itself. And it sounds to me like the first woke constitution that's ever been proposed. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's the the first woke constitution. Mm, I don't know. Maybe Bolivia has a lot of these indigenous elements, uh, and Ecuador also. But uh, I don't think they went as far as we are going with our constitution. We are also eliminating the Senate, which is very dangerous. We will always have this assembly. It's the same thing that Hugo Chavez did in Venezuela, and they copied it. They copy pasted from from Venezuela, basically, because the Senate is, you know, is in, in Chile, it, it, it exerts control over what the House decides. So no law can be made by the House unless the Senate approves it. And and usually senators are higher ranked, more reasonable type of people. I think in the U.S. is also true. Um, mm -hmm. Not a hundred percent, but let's say on average, it's better than the lower house, the deputies chamber. In, in 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 general and um and so they got rid of that and uh, they got rid of eminent domain regulations that means uh which were in our constitution because of our experience with uh, confiscation and nationalization of industries and things that happened in chile like they happened in venezuela well the same thing happened in chile in the 70s and the 60s and so we had in this constitution eminent domain rules that would force the government to pay you the full amount in advance and cash uh, before they take over your property, right? And now they got rid of that and they just say, okay, government is going to pay a fair price. What's the fair price? Whatever politicians say it's going to be. So you don't have effective protection of private property anymore. And um, they are going to get rid of the uh, pension funds. You know, we have these private capitalization accounts. Chile was the first country in the world to introduce that. And it has been a very successful uh, system, but and now in the new constitution, you have the um, um, basically a norm that says that we're going to have a, a social security system that's basically going back to a pay-as-you-go. They don't say it explicitly like that, but they rejected all of the uh, proposals to include, for instance, the uh, right of the workers to choose the administrator of their funds and to preserve the property of, uh, of their funds uh, in the future because we save every month to our personal account. So they opened the door to completely nationalize the over, it's almost $200 billion we have accumulated in the pension funds. And, and the same thing with the uh, private in health insurance, they're going to get rid of that. Uh, then we have voucher system in Chile. Uh, where almost 60% of, of school students go to, uh, it's a private and subsidized, you know, uh, schools. And, um, and they excluded these schools from uh, government funds or government funding. So basically it's gonna be one national uh, education system and it's gonna be up to politicians to say if they want to give funds to these um, private schools that are being uh, subsidized by the government or by the taxpayers, basically. But they don't want that because the left, the far left says, uh, it's like the war against charter schools in the US. The far left, they want the, U the teachers union to have the power. They don't want children to uh, be educated in the schools of the choosing of their, fa of their parents. They, they, they want to control them uh, and the government has to, to play the role there. So. So it's a horrible constitution. It's going to, I don't know, it's going to bring uh, the country apart and it's going to 
probably uh, open the door for for civil strife and, and and even I don't know civil war would be the, the worst case scenario but uh, I mean imagine people coming and telling you oh no this house this piece of land is mine no but it's mine no because my ancestors so can you imagine the yeah. uh, amount of civil conflict you can create with that it's it's insane yeah no I, I that's a recipe for violence uh, I mean yeah. as far as far as I can tell I mean you know I I'm not a constitutional expert, you know, I'm, I'm most familiar with the U.S. Constitution, but, you know, I, I glanced at some of the stuff of this draft and it seemed to me instead of, I imagine, I've always imagined constitutions to be kind of articulating the application of principles in the realm of civics, like, okay, here are some principles and how they're going to work in, in this government. And this seems like a letter to Santa Claus. It's like, <laughs> these it are is. all the things that we want. Um, and it's it it's ridiculous. Well, it is, and and also, you know, this uh, new constitution, it, it basically sets no limits to government power. So, if you want to have a, a, a dictatorship uh, with the facade of being a democracy, like you typically see in Latin America, that's it. And that, and and you are you are going to have the constitution to help you achieve that, uh, because there is no limit to the power of this assembly they are creating you know, uh, as, as, you know, the legislative uh, body. And um, yeah, I mean, there are things like, for instance, everyone have has the right to um, decent uh, job that's going to be, and, and you have also the right to uh, a payment for your job, a salary, that's enough to cover uh, you know, all of your necessities and everything you need in order to have a decent life. That is, that's in the constitution. Life. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You, you know, it's insane. What, what if you are someone who didn't even finish college, college or anything, and you have five children, maybe you need, you know, $15,000 per month and you work as a, you know, cleaner or something, uh, you know, it's it's just this sort of things that you see in Latin America all the time, and we believe that Chile was different, but it's the same uh, magical realism and, and populist bullshit you see everywhere in Latin America. This is banana republic type of uh, of you know thinking, and, and yeah, yeah, it really is. And even the gender stuff. I mean, my understanding of the current constitution is it's already illegal to discriminate based on it gender. Is. But now they've changed it to an equity model where the government and public institutions have to have gender parity, which I, well, that that seems insane. Yeah, the, the, the current con constitution makes it legal to discriminate, that's for sure. And it has been like that for decades. Uh, but what I see here is, is the uh, triumph of identity politics, which is the creation of a new caste society. So you will have uh, these minorities, and and usually not the ones who are members of these minorities and you know support conservative or right wing political parties. You will have these leftist crazy activists with privileges that are created by law by the constitution, and that will ensure um, you know spaces of power to the left basically. To left-wing political parties, and 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 they have created uh, a document that will make it possible for them to completely control the government and control power and have their own dictatorship. Because uh, in the end, it will be impossible to win over this constitution, this um, legislative assembly, because they have created quotas within this assembly as well. Right. That will be integrated by left-wing activists who claim to be indigenous and people like that. So, so, uh, it, and 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 this is interesting for your um, audience in Chile, in southern Chile. I grew up in the ninth region. The ninth region is the region with where you find the most of these Chile Chilean people who have a larger percentage of indigenous blood, let's say, or ancestors. Okay. Right. Well, most of them vote for right-wing political parties. Most of them. And and, mm -hmm. and 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 it's the only region where the right always wins. And, and they are trying to present this as if they were representing, you know, the uh, the rights of these minorities. And they are supporting, we have a, a large terrorist movement in, in southern Chile now, 
they claim to be fighting for the rights of the indigenous people, but they are attacking indigenous people and they are killing indigenous people who don't, you know, follow their uh, uh, lead or their rules, basically. And they are heavily engaged with drug, uh, drug, drug trafficking, cocaine and things like that. They have connections to the FARCs in Colombia and to Mexican cartels. And, and the, the worst part of this is the media and the left-wing intellectuals and even our president now, Boric, which is, he's a far left uh, person. He's like they, the Justin Trudeau of Chile, by the way. That's how I think of it. Yeah, I think he's even worse than Justin Trudeau. I mean, Justin Trudeau is, is the most dishonest, dishonest person, I think, that runs a country in the Western world. But um, but he's in Canada. And so Canada, you know, maybe you can afford to have a clown like that running your country. But Chile, the president is so important. If you have a weak president or someone who is, you know, not willing to defend the rule of law and things like that, and who is supporting terrorist movement, because this is what he's doing, um, then then you can lose the country. You you have every day attacks, terrorist attacks. You have they're killing people every week. They're they're destroying uh, private property. They are burning down hotels and houses. They are, they are. Uh, you know, doing ethnic cleansing, basically, because they want to have their, their space, their levens around. They call it like that. This is in sense like the Nazis, right? Uh, yeah, their espacio vital, their levens round, in order to basically what they, what they really want is to have their free zone to do their deals with, with drug trafficking and cocaine and things like that. This is what they yeah. really want. And, and this is so obvious. I mean... Okay, so maybe we should maybe we should back up a little bit because um, I so Boric has has said I think he's actually said he's continuing Allende's dreams like he's rewinding back to Allende and he's talking about how Allende's you know vision was was great and he's going to implement it and I maybe it's a good time for you to correct the narrative for a lot of Westerners. And let me just, for, for, <laughs> you probably know this, but for that, you know, for people who don't, um, the narrative in the U S if we learn anything about Chile at all, which mostly we don't. Um, and, and in fact, mostly we never learn about any kind of failures of socialism anywhere. <laughs> that's, that's not a thing that we get taught, but, um, the narrative, if you learn about Chile, the narrative is, uh, Allende was a heroic, you know, socialist visionary. He was opposed by the imperial U.S. because he didn't, un you know, the U.S. didn't understand the beauty of his socialist vision and thought he was just a commie and they were afraid of the Soviets. Um, so they tried to stop him. He won the pre the, the presidency in this, uh, what is it, the revolution of wine and empanadas yeah. <laughs> for the working class. Uh, and then he started to, you know, like a good socialist, he started to clamp down on excessive profit taking by companies and hey, for some completely unrelated reasons, inflation happened. And then um, this big bad guy that was backed by the U.S., Pinochet, ends up as a dictator. Um, he, he, in a coup, takes over. He kills and terrorizes political enemies. He implements free markets um, with help of the Chicago boys. That destroys the economy because capitalism is horrible and free markets suck. He was finally removed in 1990. Uh, by a plebiscite, and now everything should be fine if, if the Chilean people would just go back to, to socialism. That's kind of as much as anyone in the U.S. ever hears. I am I know that about 98% of that is wrong. <laughs> so can you yeah. just walk us really quickly through the history there? Yeah, so first of all, Allende, Salvador Allende, he was a Marxist who had been funded by the KGB since the 1950s. Actually, he was uh, working for the KGB, uh, for the Soviets, uh, all the way throughout, I mean, the 60s. And in 1970, when he won the presidency, he was also funded by the KGB, the Soviet KGB. Yeah. So Allende uh, was representing a group of people, this was the Cold War, who wanted to create in Chile a, a communist dictatorship. And uh, this is no surprise. He, he said that himself, uh, he, he said that the Soviet Union was, was the, the big brother. He, he referred to the Soviet Union in those terms. And so he, he was, he was getting, uh, being paid by the Soviet Union, being supported by the Soviet Union. And no one can really believe that the Soviet Union was supporting someone if uh, they didn't believe 
that this person was going to, uh, you know, fall uh, or, or bring a country under the sphere of influence. This is insane. And when he won the presidency with 36% of the votes, let's be clear here, he got 36% of the votes. And the guy who came after him, who was um, Alessandri, he got like 35 something percent of the votes. But at the time, we didn't have a second round. Congress uh, could decide between the first two majorities. And then they decided to go uh, with Allende. But they forced Allende to sign and to um, support constitutional reforms that made sure that he was not going to destroy democracy. Uh, and he signed this, this um, uh, commitment with the Christian Democrats, basically. Uh, and, 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 and he said later on that he had signed this only for tactical purposes and, and he was going to go ahead with his program. When he was elected, uh, not, not long after that, Fidel Castro came to Chile and spent three weeks uh, touring all the country with Allende and uh, giving you know lessons on how Chile was going to become communist, uh, just I don't know uh, like Cuba, Cuba was. So, so, uh, so let's let's be clear with this. You know, uh, it is of course natural that the United States, Kissinger, Nixon were you concerned that we would have a, a new communist country that would be an ally of the Soviet Union in this in, in, in South America. And that's why Kissinger said uh, that the election of Allende was um, the, the worst uh, news in the hemisphere for a long time. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the Allende was the first Marxist who was ever democratically elected in the world. So this, this uh, created an example for large political parties in France, Italy, other parts of Europe, that they could, uh, you know, get to power not with a violent revolution, but with the uh, using elections, basically, which is what Chavez did later on and all that. They all they were inspired in it. So, what what happened was the the economy had had been for decades. You know, we had this import substitution system. It was uh, the government was very big and all that. And Allende, he 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 made made the problem worse because he had this centrally planned economy put in place and uh, inflation skyrocketed. In 1973, before the coup, we had 600% inflation. There was scarcity of basic goods and services. Uh, over 3,000 prices were fixed by the government, by the regime. You were uh, sent to jail if you held, uh, if you had dollars, for instance, it was illegal to have dollars. Um, and uh, so the economy was completely destroyed. Um, the the uh, mines were nationalized we have uh, we are a large producer of copper so we expropriated and nationalized the mining companies um american mining companies and others we didn't pay anything to them um i feel have... like by the way that i i always hear about that and i think he picked up atlas shrugged and went that's a good idea it's literally exactly what was predicted they didn't even compensate. Let's be clear. They didn't get the compensation even. They just stole the mines. They stole the mines. And later on, the uh, Pinochet regime came to an agreement with the uh, owners and, and the, the Chilean state paid uh, something to them. But um, so and, and, and the same with land reform. You know, it was um, all, almost 10 million hectares that were uh, stolen by the Frey and Allende regime. Frey was the guy who came before him. And, 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 and at the same time, he was, he was trying to, his, his government, they, they were trying to create the conditions for a Marxist dictatorship in the country. So they, he, Allende was the first one to call the military and he appointed uh, generals as ministers to the cabinet because the country was becoming increasingly ungovernable. Uh, we had terrorist groups working. We had chaos everywhere. Imagine, uh, you know, it was a similar situation to Venezuela right now. And um, and so in the end, uh, with the difference that the military was not leading or supporting the agenda regime. But people don't, don't know that Allende appointed Pinochet as commander in chief of the army because he thought that Pinochet was loyal to him. And, and Pinochet was not the guy who initiated the coup. It was, it was the Navy. The Navy, uh, when 
the Communist Party and the left wing, uh, I mean, the government tried to infiltrate the armed forces in order to consolidate their dictatorship. The Navy didn't accept this. And they said, we are going to overthrow this regime. And of course, you had a social crisis everywhere and the uh, truck drivers who, uh, who are a very powerful force here in Chile, they, they paralyzed the country because they had nothing to eat. And, uh, you know, women didn't have, you know, milk for the babies and things like that. And um, and so the uh, Pinochet didn't want to, to go with the coup. And he said, okay, we are joining last minute. This is a, a true. And I end the thought that Pinochet was uh, going to... Uh, was was already in, uh, you know uh, imprisoned and uh, he thought otherwise he would have defended me, but uh, the, the real um, you know reason why the, the the military took over power was because Congress deputies chamber on on August 22, 1973, by two thirds of the votes, including the center left wing parties like the Christian Democratic Party, they voted. Um, they uh, issued a resolution saying that the Allende administration was unconstitutional. They were violating systematically the constitution. They were violating human rights. They were trying to install a, um, a Marxist totalitarian regime in the country. This is literally, this is literal. And they were, uh, you know, going after journalists uh, who, who were not, uh, you know, who were critical of the government and, and things like that. And they called the army to put an end to this tyranny, the agenda tyranny. This is the elected body of the deputies chamber, elected by the Chilean people, by two thirds of the votes, saying what everyone was saying at the time, that the Allende administration wanted to create a totalitarian dictatorship in the country and that the situa economic situation was unsustainable, chaos was everywhere, and uh, even the Supreme Court had issued, uh, you know, some documents saying that the Allende administration was not respecting the constitution because they were not following through uh, the rulings of the courts. Uh, they were not enforcing them. And, and so the courts were sending letters to the president and saying, please, you know, you have to respect the constitution. So in the end, uh, this was on August 22. And then on September 11, 1973, the military intervened. And they offered Allende to leave La Moneda, our, our presidential palace. He said no. He took an AK-47 that was a gift from Fidel Castro, and he shot himself. And, and, and that was the reason why the military bombed La Moneda also, because he had a large group of people that were Cubans, many of them, who, who, who were, um, you know, security, personal security of the president, who were fighting and, and, and shooting, uh, you know, the military that were surrounding La Moneda. And so, and in the end, this was, this was what happened. And, and when the military took over, yeah, the economy was destroyed and they didn't have a plan. They didn't know what to do. And at some point, 1974, uh, five, uh, four, they, um, come across these Chicago boys who had been going to University of Chicago since the 1950s. So this it's not like they conspired to do anything. This is nonsense. This is an army client type of, right. of, of idiocy. Yeah, it has no, uh, uh, you know, uh, any, uh, you know, there is no substance to it. Substance to it. It's, it's nothing to do, has nothing to do with the real, real uh, facts. So, and these guys reformed the economy and Chile became the most prosperous country in the world. And it's not true that Pinochet was, you know, uh, overthrown or that he lost anything. In the 1980 constitution that the uh, Ortuzar Commission, the lawyers at the time, advisors created, was already established that democracy was going to come back in 1988, in 1990, but the referendum was going to be held in 1988, and the referendum was held in 1988, and the question was yes or no, but not for the reintroduction of democracy. The question was yes or no for Pinochet uh, continuing as president with a, you know, an elected Congress and all of that in a democratic regime or no. And the no one, 50, I think it was 54%, 50-something 50 percent, yeah, 54% against 44% that voted for yes. So uh, after 17 years. And uh, yeah, he stepped down and then we had the transition to democracy. And of course, 
you had the ugly side of all of this, which was the human rights uh, or the fundamental rights violations by the military and, and crimes were committed and, and that, you know, you cannot justify them. Um, it was, of course, the context of the Cold War. Many military personnel were killed during the 70s and there was a lot of um, anger and revenge um, drive from the part of many uh, soldiers who who really hated the uh, left-wing terrorist organizations and, and, and left-affiliated people. And so they committed many excesses. Um, but it was basically focused on these uh, hardcore leftist people. And it was, not, of course, uh, something that was wrong. And, and, and we all should condemn that um, because it was not, you know, done according to the rule of law. I'm not saying you face terrorist people, you know, that were shooting at you and you shoot back, you kill them. This is, this is okay, because of course you have to defend yourself. But what some things they did were, uh, were of course, were very wrong and, uh, and no one can justify them. But, but the general picture is much more complex uh, than, you know, the narrative and the storytelling telling says. And one last word about Allende that might interest people in, in the United States. Uh, now that you are living this cancer culture, well, Allende was a hardcore homophobe who who wrote that uh, homosexuals had to be treated. Uh, he was a doctor himself, uh, and 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 uh, and think horrible things about homosexuals. And he was a hardcore anti-Semitic person who who wrote that Jews were. Um, genetically inclined to thievery and, and being dishonest and things like that. So this was Salvador Allende. He was not really this humanist who loved everyone. This is bullshit. He, 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 this is the myth. But, you know, Professor Victor Farias, who taught a lot of time at the Frey University in Berlin, he wrote a couple of books with, with the documents that showed this um, very dark side of Allende. And, uh, yeah, and in the end it was... A, Chile was a battlefield for the Cold War. This is this is what happens when you are in war, and I'm very happy that the communists didn't win. It, uh, you just reminded me of uh, how how people support even even still. You see T-shirts with Che Guevara, and it's it's one of these. Oh, he was a he's this great this great humanist leader for the the working people. Again, a horrible racist, homophobe monster. Who who yeah. just was like what was he uh, the butcher of La Cabana or whatever they call them yeah the butcher of La Cabana exactly yeah which was what, like a horrible yeah, yeah. but he, was he had the right politics yeah and this is so strange why people who argue that they really care about you know minorities and they are willing to cancel Thomas Jefferson because in you know in the 18th century that he had slaves uh, but. They I idealize and they love people like Che Guevara, who a couple of decades ago was saying that homosexuals were sick people that had to be, uh, you know, maybe killed or re-educated re and, 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 and they send them to concentration camps. I mean, I mean, what's that all about? I mean, this is this is crazy because the world at the time was not saying homosexuals have to be. Uh, killed. I mean, you had the whole movement, the minorities, and already in the sixties and even before that. So, um, but they don't care. I mean, it's it's like uh, I don't know. It's it's like this uh, feminists who don't care uh, about you know the human rights violations of women in Muslim communities, for instance. Right in the West, I'm not speaking. Not even in Africa or parts like that. Yeah. Parts of the world like that. They don't care. They care about how many women are in the board of directors at Google. And then they say, oh, this is patriarchy is so wrong. You don't have 50-50 or something like that. But then right. you, you, you see, uh, you know, the, the genital mutilation happening in France. And that doesn't matter, even if it's five-year-old, you know, girls. Yeah, they don't, care. yeah. No, they don't because care. Yeah, because it meets the, it, it, their political agenda. It's, it's, uh, it's yeah. in line with their political agenda. I mean, can we, I want to dig into Pinochet just a little bit because, um, you know, you're admitting like, yeah, bad things happened and like people were tortured and killed. And I mean, the only thing most people know about Pinochet is memes of throwing commies out of helicopters, which is 
sometimes viscerally satisfying if if you're anti-communist, but you know, certainly a bad image for Pinochet. His violence is taken out of context as if he was the only one who ever did bad things, and that's what you should you should look at. And and then you've got regimes prior to him and and communism obviously killing a bunch of people. But he's also the thing that bothers me, and and this I think you'll agree with, but maybe not. I mean, I know you're a, a Mises guy and a uh, Austrian economist. He's viewed. They they argue that he's this. He was this free market guy, and you know, he was more free market certainly than a Marxist. Although that's not hard, but he did keep. I my understanding is he kept the nationalization of a bunch of industries. He. He was, you know, the Chicago boys were Friedmanites, not Murray Rothbard's type economists. So, you know, they they were okay with central bank manipulation and and that kind of stuff. This wasn't he wasn't free market economy. He was just better than the absolute destruction of the economy that the Marxists wanted. Am I wrong about that, or how do you characterize his economics? No, so so he had no economic philosophy. He was probably a statist, like all military, you know, men usually are, uh, at least in, in Latin America. Uh, they are, after all, you know, government, government employees. And uh, he didn't know what to do. And then these, these people came around, young guys trained at the University of Chicago and Hey, let's try this out because the old way was not working in bringing down inflation and all of that. And uh, but he was some someone who wanted prosperity, like Deng Xiaoping, right? He yep. wanted prosperity for the masses, uh, that's for sure. And um, and he said, okay, let's try these uh, free market ideas. It was a free market in the sense that, you know, I mean, compared to having nationalized almost all your industries and 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 large parts of the uh, productive and agri agricultural land and having prices fixed and no free trade and things like that. Of course, it was a free market revolution because yeah. this changed, everything changed. And yes, you you, you get the central bank, uh, but it became autonomous. And, um, you know, the central bank had existed since 1925. And since then, we have had, had a, you know, history of chronic inflation you know, 50, 30, 80, 60%, and with Allende, it was 600%. So, but they gradually brought inflation inflation down. They applied monetarism, and it works because basically monetarism says, don't bring too much money. You don't want to have inflation, <laughs> right? And, and control deficit spending. So, um, so it worked, and then uh, you know, uh, in the '90s and the 2000s, and uh, we became the most successful country in Latin America. I mean, with the highest per capita income, with the highest social mobility, lowest poverty rate, uh, you know, highest human development development index. If that means something, uh, you know, so uh, the results were extraordinary. And some people say no, but this happened because of the uh, democratic regimes that came later. No. The foundations were established, you know, under the uh, Chicago Boys uh, watch, not uh, in the uh, central Latin governments that came later. They were wise enough not to destroy what had been created in the previous uh, uh, years. And, and, and that's why we had so much prosperity. And it was, of course, better to have democracy than to have an authoritarian regime. Um, and as I said, I mean, no one can justify what happened under Pinochet is unjustifiable uh, in terms of the human rights violations, right? Um, but of course, you also have uh, part of that history, which is the human rights violation, violations by the left. And people never mentioned that. Uh, you had these terrorist groups, you had the Allende regime who was, you know, uh, going after opponents of the regime and they were torturing them as well, and sometimes killing them or sending their armed groups to kill them. Uh, and, and you had human rights violations committed by the left. And this is something that it's also in the Rettich report. So when Patricio Alwin, who was a Christian Democrat, who had supported the coup, right? Um, yep. He gave, was the first president to come to power in Chile when democracy was reintroduced. And this is center left-wing people. And 
he created this commission. Raul Reddy was a lawyer and he presided the commission to, you know, to have, uh, you know, uh, an account of what happened in terms of how many victims and, and, and people had died uh, and took, had been disappeared by the military and all that. But even they admitted in this report, written by center left wing uh, professionals and lawyers and people like that, that the left had violated human rights as well. Yep. In that briefly, but but you know the focus was what happened under military, but they they accepted it. And, and this is something that no one tells you uh, when you listen to this story. And and uh, you know what is most disconcerting is that to many people is that. Pinochet was a popular dictator. This is something that Patricio Elwin said uh, shortly before he died a couple of years ago. He got 44% of the votes in 1988, 17 years after he had taken over power and after a huge financial crisis in 1981, 82. Yep. Uh, and many people, even on the left, say if it had not been for that financial crisis, maybe he would have won the election and so uh this is something that we have to learn if we want to preserve democracy we have to uh, preserve the institutions that enable prosperity and security for people in terms of rule of law and not having criminality being you know you know exploding everywhere and terrorist groups and all of that uh, because there is nothing that people fear more uh, more than uh, chaos and, uh, and, and, you know, not being able to meet, uh, you know, uh, or to have enough resources to sustain themselves. And this is one of the lessons you, you can learn and, 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 and from the Chilean case. And um, to, to pretend that this was something that happened overnight and, uh, you know, some extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial beings in the form of Pinochet came and took over power in a happy country. This is not the way that you uh, learn from history and, and, and the right lessons in order to preserve democracy in the long run. Because I, I don't want to see the military taking over power ever again in my country and nowhere, to be honest. But right. sometimes, I mean, if intellectuals and if, you know, politicians don't really... Um, are careful with democracy and they don't take care of democracy and they unleash chaos. This is what happens to you. Yeah. Because what other alternative that do people have? When you have chaos, your, your, your democratic institutions failed already. What do you do? Yeah. This is yeah. I mean, your analogy with Deng Xiaoping is really helpful, I think, because it puts this into perspective. This is a guy who wanted power but also prosperity. As long as he stayed in power, prosperity was the goal, um, which is why Deng Xiaoping was able to open up and try economic development zones and do all this kind of stuff in China that built prosperity. He just also was willing to violate rights if, if it meant the CCP needed to stay in power to do, you know, do that to stay in power. And while that's bad, um, it is distinct from an ideologue who wants to have a Marxist dictatorship and is willing to just decimate the economy and yeah. destroy and everyone for his ideal. Yeah. So the, the Chilean military, remember, Chile was not ruled by Pinochet. It was ruled by a junta. So this mm -hmm. junta, this was the, the, the three com commanders in chief from the three branches of the armed forces, Navy, the Air Force and the Army. And on top, and you had a fourth one, which was a Carabineros, which is the a police, the military police in Chile. We have a, a we have a different type of police. We have a, a military police in, in our country, and uh, and so this this were the the guys running the show. Like the president of the junta was Pinochet, because the army is the most powerful branch of the four, and, and um, but they never really wanted to stay forever. I think in the end, maybe Pinochet in the eighties thought he could stay for a longer time and, you know, power corrupts and all of that. Uh, sure. But the, the, the intention was to rebuild the country, reconstruct it, to get rid of the 
what they saw as the Soviet communist slash communist um, threat. And that was also a threat to them as as, as institutional, uh, you know, as, a, you know, as generals and soldiers was a threat to them that Soviet Union was advancing because they knew if the Soviet Union could penetrate the armed forces, they were going to uh, destroy the armed forces and they were, gonna go, they were going to get rid of all the opposition within the armed forces. So, uh, and, and the rhetoric of the left was extremely aggressive. So, so they were really making people believe that they, they could take over power and they could have, uh, you know, a Marxist dictatorship like it had happened in Cuba and many other parts. So, um, yeah, but they didn't original, originally plan to stay for a long time. Uh, and that's why they created the 1980 constitution and they established the return of democracy. They were under pressure by the civilians around them because this was not only the military, the re- many civilians were collaborating with this regime. They were yep. under pressure by the civilians. They were under pressure by members of the armed forces, by members of the business elites. They, they were under pressure to restore democracy. And so I don't think they could have, uh, you know, uh, been able to not transition to dem- back to democracy as they did. It, it, it would have been unsustainable. Uh, didn't didn't, uh, didn't we later find out even that Pinochet had Guzman start working on a constitution as early as 1973 or something like right away there was yeah. this this idea that okay we got to go clean house and and do this temporarily but we need to return the country to democracy at some point yeah so Guzman was someone who believed that um, democracy had to be reintroduced that was uh, you know unnegotiable and 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 the junta agreed with him and but they needed to rebuild the institutions and economic freedom was a crucial part of that because in their view and this was also milton friedman's uh explanation to why chile had lost democracy the gradual destruction of economic freedom throughout the previous decades had brought the country to a point where you in the end made democracy unviable and everything collapsed so um they wanted to make sure that this didn't happen again and that's why the 1980 constitution has so many rules that prevent government from destroying economic freedom you have the eminent domain regulations you have uh, protection uh, resources or uh, actions in order to protect your property and other rights. You have um, special requirements if the government wants to create uh, a company, uh, you know, and, and all of these things. So, yep. because they thought this was really, really important to preserve economic freedom for prosperity, and because this was the, uh, you know, way to keep the populist at bay. Because populists were being nourished by economic failure. That was the diagnosis of the Chicago Boys in the Brick, which was the uh, economic program that, in the end, was used by the military regime. Uh, but it was a social market economy in the end, as uh, Milton Friedman said. And this was not really Murray Rothbard's uh, anarcho-capitalistic paradise, not at all. Right. It was um, government played an important role. So, so yeah. it's it's not true to say that. You know, this was neoliberalism uh, on steroids. I don't think so. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, we've corrected that history a little bit, and I just want to let's just fast forward. Um, and I know I don't know how much longer I've I've got you here, so I don't I don't want to take too much of your time. But here we are. Are the do people in Chile learn uh, the same style as in the U.S.? And what I mean by that is. Uh, we sanitize everything that the left's ever done. We vilify everything that's semi, we'll say, neoliberalism, and no one really knows the history. And that's why there's this push to, hey, we got to get rid of this this horrible constitution and and move towards socialism. Absolutely. I mean, the narrative in Chile is completely biased, and few people dare say the things I'm saying. I'm doing it because I'm intellectually honest and um, I don't want to be a politician, so I don't care. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, everything that, you know, fits the leftist narrative, it's being accepted and applauded and spread everywhere. And if it doesn't fit, it's being, you know, accused and attacked as, you know, fascist or whatever. And this is the reason why we are at a point uh, in time or in our history right now in this country where we could end up destroying everything, even democracy again, because we did not learn the lesson, because we didn't teach the younger generations the real lesson, which is if you continue a path of destruction of economic freedom and class war for rhetoric and, you know, populism, at some point you will have a situation where you can't, your country goes down the drain. Your institutions and everything are not sustainable anymore. And this is what could happen to us now. Um, and the real lesson should have been Let's preserve economic freedom. Let's deepen economic freedom, and let's always keep the power of government, uh, you know, controlled. And uh, for some reason, people believe that the more powerful, more powerful the government is, the more good the, gov the government can do. And the closer we are to paradise, when in truth we are closer to hell, because we have unleashed the beast. And uh, and you are gonna see if approved in September this new constitution probably. Uh, a, a very interesting experiment in Chile in terms of the destruction of a country that was uh, very successful and not long ago. Yeah. I mean, it it almost makes me wonder if in instead of focusing solely on economic reformers, Pinochet maybe also should have fixed the intellectual institutions and gotten rid of all of the uh, collectivist Hegelian Marxist ideology and 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 brought in some some uh, some individualists. Yeah, I mean they tried to do something like that with universities and all that. Then you know there is also a tendency uh, in these institutions to go back to their uh, roots, let's say, and uh, become left again and, and spread these narratives uh, it's like the default setting is like being on the left yep. and then they destroy everything and then there is a correction and then everything starts again if you are lucky because if there is no correction you end up like venezuela decades and decades with these communists uh, or like it was the case with the eastern europe for almost a century uh at least in russia and then other countries um half a century and so uh, it's something that we have to work for every day uh, freedom uh, you know yeah otherwise we lose it yeah do, do you think this constitution well i i see that there seems to be less excitement about it now than there was maybe in november or december of last year is do you think this is gonna yeah. get approved so and this I have to go to another meeting now, but I will answer this one. Okay, um, sorry about that. Yeah, don't worry, it's okay. Um, I mean, in the polls so far, the uh, rechazo alternative, which is basically saying no to the new constitution, um, has been growing and is um, more stronger than the apruebo or the yes to the new constitution alternative. So if this continues to be the case, uh, then we should prevent the worst, the worst from happening. But this can change because the difference is like seven, eight percentage points, and it's not a lot. And the campaign is going to be very intense, and the next months are going to be, you know, uh, crucial. And the left is going to mobilize, and they are already mobilizing the media, all the journalists, the armies of intellectuals, and everyone in order to uh, convince people, often with lies, that they should support this uh, Chavista constitution that they are proposing to the country. So uh, there is a high. They have chance. till September, right? It's yeah, till September. So they have a big chance of winning this, and yeah, and it, this will. I think derail the country completely. 
in the coming years, if that happens. Well, let's hope not. Um, Axel, look, I really appreciate your time. Um, Axel Kaiser, remind everyone how they can follow your work. Where can they find you? Where, where, how can they help? Uh, what do you well, need? Thank you very much. I'm on Twitter at uh, Axel Kaiser. I'm also on Instagram at Axel Kaiser B. And yeah, I mean, they can follow me there and support maybe the Atlas Center for Latin America uh, in Washington from Atlas Foundation. I'm a senior fellow there and we work for freedom in all of Latin America. That's a, a good place to start. Excellent. Well, again, thank you very much for your time. I really uh, love the way your brain works. Love your the books that I can read in English. I love. So uh, thank, thank you very much and uh, best of luck. Thank you very much and uh, till next time. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production does not meet WHO health and safety standards. Please report to our United Nations Sanitization Center immediately. Association with the following individuals is strictly prohibited. Experts who benefit from printing money agree that printing money does not cause price inflation. Trust me, just two more weeks to slow the spread of monkeypox. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice courtesy. Never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.